HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Monday, December 3rd is Winter in the Garden, Heritage Radio Network's second annual year-end gala at the Brooklyn Botanic Gardens Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe. Join HRN's staff, hosts, members, and some very talented chefs and bartenders for a delicious evening that will kick off the holiday season and support our end-of-year fundraising drive. The evening will begin with a VIP hour, complete with bubbles and oysters. Then, all of our guests will work their way around two spacious rooms filled with food stations and bars, sampling fare from some of our favorite chefs. Sip on your choice of cocktails, beer, wine, sake, and cider while bidding on exclusive silent auction items. 2019 is our 10th anniversary, so whether you've been a member since Roberta's first opened, or if you just discovered your new favorite food podcast, please consider supporting us with a ticket purchase so we can start the year on solid ground. We'd love to see you at the garden. So join us on December 3rd. For more information and to purchase tickets, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. This episode is brought to you by Wild Alaska Pollock, the fish of the future. Learn more and try a free sample at Wild. AKPollock.com. Hello, and welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. Um, I'm your host tonight, Leah Kurtz, and we have in the studio with us Devon Francis, who is the chef and founder of Yardi, a food-focused, experience-driven events company based in New York that's inspired by Francis's own Jamaican heritage. Uh, Yardi is a cause-based events company focused on telling stories through Caribbean food and um, brings experience um, and kind of performance art to the din- to the dinner table as a site for artistic invention and social engagement. And what I really love on your Instagram was uh, the description of it as an island for queer Caribbean dreams <laughs> and a place that makes, what is it, makes food... Um, because celebrating where you come from and making space for where you are going is an integral part of activism. I thought that was really beautiful. So welcome to the show, Devon. Thank you. We're so Thanks happy to have you. Yeah. Um, and we were just discussing you just got back from a glorious uh, trip in a much warmer climate. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I was in Cayman visiting friends and just taking some time away to reflect on everything, which was amazing. I needed it. And of course, back to work and back to New York, but I am so grateful for that time away. Yeah. Hit the ground running. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And we also were talking about right before we started that you've just celebrated your first anniversary of Yardi. Yeah. Yardi's existence. One year old, one year old, one year old, um, as of yesterday, which is also a big part of the reflection process too. I was like, let me take some space and not be in New York so I can actually get some distance and perspective on what's going on because I feel like next year is only going to be more powerful and exciting so Mm -hmm. excited to be on that adventure yeah so kind of I want to kind of go back to before all of this was even I'm sure like a 
a figment of your imagination um, because so much of what you're doing ties to your roots and and your your own family. Um, I kind of wanted to you know share, learn myself, and also share with whoever's listening about um, kind of what that looked like and what that felt like. So, is there? Um, do you remember the first dish you ever ate? Mm, um, or the first dish you remember eating? Let me rephrase <laughs> that. <laughs> the first, the first memorable dish. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I feel like there are two. So the first one was probably <laughs> the first one were these um, teddy bear pancakes that my mom would make for you every morning. Um, but sometimes she would put cassava in it, so they were like. Mm teddy bear shaped with cassava sort of mixed into it, which was really exciting for me because I was like, Oh, I'm getting something like gourmet breakfast. And breakfast has always been my favorite part of like my day. Um, growing up, like breakfast was just like the most exciting part of my morning. Uh, the second dish was, was also a breakfast dish. Actually. Um, my grandmother on my mom's side, uh, she makes this really incredible porridge, which is like, so basic, but um, it's like an oat, oat porridge with like bay leaf and like star anise. Um, Ooh, so kind of savory. Yeah, so mm. it's like a little, and then like a bit of like brown sugar mixed mixed in, and and like a bit of like salt and butter. It's just like super simple and like really comforting. Um, and those just remind me of like really easy ways to sort of access or uh, access access, um, uh, like sort of like a tie between someone who's caring for you in this very, very simple way. Um, and that simplicity really resonates with me with the, in the work that I want to do and continue to do and, and thinking about how they've sort of like brought me into the fold of food and thinking about food. Mm. And what age were you when you started kind of like experimenting with food or, or learning to cook? I mean, there's like not one day, obviously when like you learn to cook, but For like sure. when that kind of started. Yeah. I mean, I think, Really, my um, well, I was I was never the type of kid who was really like into sports, um, and I spent a lot of my days at home because um, my so my mom was like working full time, um, and I like basically like stayed home and took care of myself. My, I had an older brother and sister, but then they like had lives and didn't want to include me, <laughs> um, for the most part. So I was just staying. I was home and like you know I like grew up like coming home and like watching Oprah after school and then also that I think spiraled into me watching a food network and things like that and just you know seeing my mom give so much of herself on top of having like a full-time job um and my dad was in the navy so he was sort of like um. always at sea um so being able to uh like watch what she was doing and just like sort of figure it out as steps as I went was really exciting for me I remember actually the first thing that I made was um, I wanted to make bread, but I did not understand the sort of like logistics of bread at all. So I just like put water and salt and flour into this big like casserole dish and just put it on in the oven at like 200 degrees because <laughs> that was my idea of hot. <laughs> it sounds intense. <laughs> I was like, I was like, oh my God, 200 degrees. Um, and that was my first time cooking. And I think I, you know, I always just found things or like items and ingredients in our pantry, whatever that looked like. And was just like, how do like, what do these two things mean together? Um, and my, the cool thing about my parents is that they always gave me liberty to sort of be that person and to sort of like dive into like creative work. Um, so like if that meant going to art school, putting me through those programs or just like watching food network and being like, Oh, like that roasted squash that Martha Stewart just made is kind of iconic. Like how can I, can we do that or something? Um, it was sort of like how it was brought up, which was really funny to me because I was doing the, the most with like the least. Um, mm -hmm. And that still resonates with, with me and, and the food that I like to make. <laughs> yeah. And so um, people who have attended your dinners that you host and that you prepare often talk about them as feeling very much like they're sitting down at a family dinner. And I'm curious what, your actual family meals were like then like you grew up in Virginia I correct? did yeah so, um and so yeah what kind of what what did that typically look like what's the vibe and the energy and the smells and the flavors of like your family yeah so I mean the the cool thing about my family so my um parents immigrated to um New York when they were teenagers and what that meant for me growing up was that like, yes, I was born in Virginia, but I spent a lot of my summers and also like family holidays going up to New York. 
and my family on both sides had both sit, situated in um, like East Flatbush in Lefferts area, um, which is a predominantly like West Indian neighborhood anyway. So it was cool to sort of like go from Virginia and then spend my like, like long car trips um, going to New York for like Christmas or birthdays. And my family have always been like party throwers. Like my grandfather has, on my dad's side has always been the sort of like uh, representative on like the community block associations. So anytime they have a block party, like he's like super involved in planning that thing. And anything, anytime there's like a church function, like it was, or like a christening or like a baby shower, like they were very adamant that they had a hand in what was going on, which was kind of intense. But what that meant was that it was always sort of like an ordeal to, um, especially like around holidays, to like do something that um, a lot of people were around and sort of like there was music and there was food and it was about really cultivating this whole energy around the space and the environment or event or event that was being created. Um, and that was really, I think, subconsciously that has definitely fed into how I think about events now, just because they're all about like putting so much energy into like transforming a space and like really honoring and celebrating each other. And that's something that I think I wanted to pass along to my chosen family or my community in New York. Yeah. And I've, you talk a little bit about how in your family, it was a space where you could kind of be whoever you wanted to be and just like really fully be accepted. And like, like as a queer kid, did that, you know, like did that shape then your kind of like feeling of having a place in the world and being, you know, like comfortable in your own skin? Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, honestly, the, uh, growing up and understanding like what my <coughs> identity um, is and what it could be and how it's like always constantly changing um, has always been sort of like a really interesting uh space of confrontation in my family. My family is pretty traditionally Jamaican in the way that they think about um, homosexuality. Um, and so when I first came out to my parents, um, they were not very pleased. Um, they weren't They weren't having it. <laughs> How old were you? I was 12 when I came out to my parents. Yeah. And I remember just having like a really, really long and difficult conversation with my mom and my dad. We were like, up all night talking about it. And I think, you know, the way that I think about it now looking back is they were brought up in a very specific time and place which put very specific emphasis on um, certain types of um, identities and lifestyles and, and things that they valued as um, culturally appropriate or something like that. Um, but what that meant for me, and this is something that I've had to like tell myself constantly in thinking about like what queerness or what support or community means is like, you sort of, you know, people are on this journey and like learning as they go, no matter where you are. And I don't, I, I, I'm like also trying to retrain my brain to um, not posit things as an age thing, because I think that really limits the sort of audiences that you are able to like let into that conversation about like how learning and how change and development can happen. And I don't think that's fair. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm trying to, I, I just told myself growing up, I was just like, you know what, like, they're learning just as I am and we're learning um we're sort of like trying to like merge and like make space for um lots of um like different definitions of vernacular that helps people define and understand and feel good about where they are um and it's you know has it has been really it was really hard and difficult to get get through those um points with them but honestly um they've de they've always supported me one two I feel like they've Honestly, I think in our open dialogues and in the way we, we in the ways in which we um, spend time together, they've only been, you know, learning about who I am and also learning about themselves, which has been really exciting, inspiring on both on both sides. I think. Yeah, often parents, I think, are just as scared as we are. <laughs> oh, for sure, for sure. Um, and so you studied performance. Um, art at Cooper Union, correct? Yeah, I mean, I did a bit of, I mean, <laughs> it's funny because I'm just thinking about my whole trajectory in general. I'm just like, I've always just like doing, been doing the most. Like, <laughs> I, like always just having a hand in everything. So I did I did basically everything at Cooper. Like I um, did, I went thinking I was going to be like a famous painter. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to show in galleries. And then, I, and then I think the sort of 
like educational political climate at the time when I was going to Cooper because it was during the sort of like tuition crisis. Um, also like during the like heyday of like Occupy Wall Street mm. and a lot of those things that I hadn't really um, been aware of in terms of like the politics of um, education or the politics of what that meant in terms of um, like socioeconomic um diversity or hierarchy or something like that um was it was sort of like this really like hard this other education I was getting when I went to Cooper too so I was like very much so involved in my academic life but then also like going to protest actively mm-hmm. and like really just like listening and engaging with the world around me in this way that I didn't really have um this the sensibility for when I was growing up or was like obviously like 19 moving to New York and like really becoming a, a person in the world mm-hmm. um so with that said is like i realized that I was finding a lot of um, excitement and energy around like what it meant to like fully use my body and engage with my body as a political space. And also thinking about like, you know, my professors were thinking about like anthropology and queer theory and what sort of um, language people were using to like map on or assign definition or assign value onto bodies. And obviously my body um, is often assigned this idea of queerness and blackness. So, um, those conversations I was, well, I was trying to engage in those, um, those conversations around like what that meant for me and really making sense of it through my performance work. Mm. Which is definitely reflected in your Yardie events. Um, and, and is that kind of what sparked the, the first embers of creating Yardie? Did that like come out of that learning and, and experiential knowledge through performance? Well, I think it definitely informed that. Um, So to go back a little bit, my dad had a restaurant when I was growing up and that was really interesting to me because looking back on that, like, and this is something that I've also been thinking about a lot is like, what does it mean to be a black male identified person who is an entrepreneur, has a business? Um, and so I think about him in that space a lot of what it meant for him to like not come from any money, but having vision and passion and drive and being determined to make something happen that was of his own history and creating a legacy that he was proud of and interested in. Um, so I grew up sort of cooking with him and like watching him through that process and also cooking with my, with my mother and thinking about food in terms of family dynamic, cause it was a family owned business. Um, so the sort of like practical side of that, um, was always there. Like I, when I came to New York for the first time, that was, those are sort of the skills I had anyway. So I was working in restaurants. So throughout my time, um, going to school, um, these ideas, like going back to this idea of like performativity or thinking about the like language and just being able to like read um, like Audre Lorde and James Baldwin and thinking about how they were thinking about those bodies, um, like really opened me up to thinking beyond just food as this object for consumption, but thinking about the politics around it, um, especially as how especially as it pertains to labor and the politics of labors and the bodies that are sort of. Um, like typecasted into those spaces. And how we think about the, the like larger uh, global food economy. Um, and yeah, so I think they just could have like those things intersected. And I was like, well, how can I create something where I can really engage with my own history and my own sort of um, curiosity and, and also like, honestly, like not, lack of knowledge of what it meant to be queer, um, Caribbean, what it meant to be someone who comes from a very specific family background, a family of like immigrants, um, and really thinking about how to situate those different subject positions into a space. Because um, honestly, the project was like, oh, I want to just discover more about myself and I want to feel good about that. And I feel liberated in like knowing that my story is just as good as anyone else's story, or not even good as or better than but like there's also room for that as well um and so that's sort of like how that came about and that's why Yardi was so exciting to me because I was like well I don't really want a brick and mortar I think there's something else that food can do in New York um as a as a site point for thinking about like immigration or queerness or blackness and so it kind of took off from there and even especially because like real estate <laughs> Oh, also, <laughs> and rent, like. also brick and mortars are also. expensive. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I mean, and it's, and that's also like a really interesting conversation too. Mm. Like, yeah, I mean, this is something we can talk about in depth later, but I was just really thinking about what it meant to be able to 
do projects that allowed me to travel and engage with people in other places, like going and doing that dinner um, for the standard in Miami and thinking about the sort of demographic there in terms mm-hmm. of like immigrant communities and thinking about what the ACLU does for them um, and wanting to be a part of that dialogue was really great. And having that um, freedom to leverage that experience was really formative for me. So doing things like that have been really um, exciting. Yeah. And so the name Yardi, you talk a little bit about in your um, in an article about your work, specifically about like the more performative dinners um, in the New York Times. And I really liked this quote where you were talking about kind of what that name symbolizes, um, which you said, finding your way back home, a sense of belonging, loving who you are and helping others get to where they need to go. And um I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about the, yeah, the origin of that word and kind of what you've kind of done with it. And more specifically, as a first generation Jamaican American, like what home and what belonging has kind of means to you. And as maybe as like that meaning is evolving, what you think about it Mm -hmm. in relationship to the work you're doing. Yeah, or not? I don't know. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, that's a it's a big question. I'll yeah, answer it is. It. Sorry. Like, no, it's fine. We can revisit in parts. But the things from what you're saying that come uh, to mind immediately are, you know, this. I, so, okay, let's start with Yardi. Um, so Yardi is basically um, this 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 word that I would hear my family use to describe um, each other, people who are from or like native to Jamaica. Um, usually other family members, um, but also like, it's interesting cause like, like Virginia actually does have like a Jamaican population there. So, um, we'd go to these, um, restaurants who like also became like friends because my dad mm-hmm. had a restaurant too. And that's how people would sort of greet each other. Mm. And I was like, that's interesting. But <laughs> the funny thing about it is that my parents or my family refers to someone like me who is a like first generation American who was, you know, born in place like Virginia we we they call I say we, they call people like me Yankee so Yankee means that um you're from like the America like America essentially North America the U.S. I should say um which is funny because it's it's really this word that is about this very specific separation then like you're thinking about you know like you are this because of this like place mm-hmm. means this for you and then being sort of um injected in this this type of community means that for you and that separation was really interesting to me as a site point to think about how we um, think about commonality and difference within the diaspora um and so and it's almost like kind of like well yeah exactly it's like like we're here you're you can't do that <laughs> like you you know and it's, it's funny because also like i don't like the dialect of like patois like i don't really like everyone's always like, well, can you like speak a little patois? I'm like, no. Like I was born in Virginia. This is what you get. Like <laughs> this is all I have for you. Um, and yeah, so I mean, basically, I wanted to take that word and I wanted to. Th- I mean, so the root of it is like this idea of yard. When yard is really about like place, like like t- having space, taking up space. It's about this thing of about real estate too. It's about this mm. idea of like where you like land in the site of home. Um, and so the question, I think the question that we as a company or as an organization, well, I don't know what I am. I th- I'm going to say company today as a company, um, we are thinking about like who that, that space belongs to essentially. Um, and so that, that going back to that quote, like helping others find where they are supposed to go or need to go or desire to go is really important because what I would hope is that people would be really inspired to really go on those investigations of self um, to find out how they want to position themselves. And I was actually did an event with um, Gerardo Gonzalez, who um, used to be at Lalito, and then my friend Sarah Zapata, um, who is Peruvian-American, and talking about this idea of in-betweenness, like what it means to not be quite this thing, not quite Jamaican enough, but not quite American enough. You know, and it's funny because I feel like my identity and my sort of insecurities are always have been bound up in this idea of like, well, you're dark skinned male, but you're queer, but you also speak with this very specific accent. But your parents speak Patois 
so like what's going on you know like tell me how to like make sense of you and I feel like you know something I say often at my events as well is like you know we have I have a history and there's a legacy but there's something about taking that power from like taking that that information and that resource of history and understanding what it has done but also understanding that history means precedent and just because something it has a precedent doesn't necessarily mean that it's okay and fits every situation and so what I think Yardi is hopefully encouraging other people to do is take that idea of history but understand that like you as someone who comes from this um, really beautiful diaspora have you have the ability and that agency to um, to basically continue that legacy and that history in whichever way you feel makes sense for you and feels good for you and creating new language that helps you to situate yourself and feel supported and good about where you are and what you want to do. So um, that's really the origin of that word. Yeah, that's and that's really rich in the way that kind of does tie back to the idea of like rootedness or or just locality and location and all of the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. nuance within that um we're gonna take a quick commercial break and then we're gonna come back and talk a little bit more about the actual food you cook at yardy oh when you told me i should breathe out to go easy it's just me now everything fell right This episode is brought to you by Wild Alaska Pollock, the fish of the future. Wild Alaska Pollock is incredibly delicious, highly nutritious, and perpetually sustainable. Among the last frontier's many natural wonders, Wild Alaska Pollock just might be the state's best-kept secret. This cousin to cod has lean, snowy white meat, delicate texture, and a mild flavor that makes it extremely versatile and tasty. Only pollock caught in Alaskan waters by U.S. fishermen can be labeled wild Alaska pollock. Unlike other pollock products, wild Alaska pollock is filleted and frozen just once within hours of being caught to preserve freshness, flavor, and texture. And now, food service professionals can try wild Alaska pollock for free. Request your sample at wildakpollock.com and discover the fish of the future. That's wildakpollock.com. Is there room for me to weigh in? Is there any way for me to explain? This is momentary pain. This is Welcome back to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Leah Kurtz, and in the studio we have with us Devon Francis of Yardi, and we're just returning to our conversation a little bit about um, what sparked the creation of Yardi, which is a food-based um, events company that's very experience-driven and centered around um, Jamaican heritage and cuisine, where um, Devon's family is from. And we were just talking about like the concept of home and belonging and how that gets bound up within the foods you eat, the sounds you grow up hearing, the, the words you use to describe yourself and the places you're from, and the places you're not from. Um, and I'm curious to kind of go in a little deeper into the events themselves. I actually haven't been to one, so this That's is all. Okay. <laughs> um, but I'm curious kind of both what the general crowd is. Like, is it a lot of friends? Is it strangers? Is it fellow you know, chefs and, and artists? Um, you just celebrated your first anniversary, so and you've experienced, I'm sure, a tremendous amount of growth in this past year. And perhaps that's changed a lot. Who comes to this dinner? And and then I'm sure whoever's there and the energy they bring affects what happens. For sure. Um, yeah. So I'm curious about that. And then I would like to talk about the food a little bit too mm-hmm. that you create. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's interesting because um, I think back to... When I think about it, but I think about what, what has made celebrating or gathering people exciting for me and for me it's always been about really trying to think of the generational intersections um thinking about like yeah like I want to like key with my grandma and I want to like talk to my grandpa and I want to like check in with my uncles and I want to like 
you know, like I have niece, I have a niece and a nephew now and like cousins all over the place. Um, and I think that the dynamic of perspectives is really helpful because it allows me to see like, I was like backwards and forwards at the same time in that sort of collective energy around like how you build dialogue in a space. Um, and the cool thing about it too is like it brings a bit more friction and a bit more um, difference and like also like challenging conversations about like how we do situate ourselves and in, in how we think about um, a family, whether that be chosen or not, um, into that dynamic. So, you know, Growing up and being a part of that sort of um, situating like celebration in that way has been how I been really inspired. Well, been really inspiring for me. Um, so we did something over the the past three months, which has been really exciting for me, which is doing this thing I call living room. Um, and so the living room series was really about trying to think about um, you know not just having just food people come to an event, which just makes me really angry actually. Cause I was like, well, yeah, I cook, but also like, I love to like perform and dance. And I also like love writing. And I also have so many questions about politics and whatever. So really finding hosts for that party, um, that gathering where it's like, not just my friends who cook, but like a food scientist or someone who is a performance artist or someone who like paints or someone who like works for like, the Jamaican embassy. That's mm -hmm. like one I'm really excited mm -hmm. about, which hasn't happened yet. Um, but thinking about, yeah, like how you can get people who are sort of like these different spokes of this larger idea of how perspective happens in the world and how we think about um, engaging on like the day to day is really important because I think that you build more energy and, and allow for more possibility for collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's what I want our events to do. Um, moving forward. So that's something I'm excited about. And that really honors the fact that, you know, we're not one dimensional. For sure. We're celebrating because I think in the food world, even that word is terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, it kind of dismisses these other qualities and how they actually all work together to form for whatever sure. it is that you're making and bringing, you know, for sure to the world. And something and to what you just said, something that I often forget, but I have to remind myself is like, um, I, like I have a lot of, I've had a lot of hangups about this idea of like what it means to do food and art. Like what is a food artist? Like what does a food artist do? And that's actually just not interesting to me anymore. And I, I feel like I was feeling a lot of pressure to like answer that question and other things that I had been like, like a speaker on or other press things that have come out. Um, but really I think at the heart of why this sort of like um, dynamic of non one dimensionalness is important to me is because Everyone in what they do and what they're excited about in their lives, whether that be personally and professionally, um, have the ability to perpetuate and make meaning and how we assign value through the things we do. And I mean, you know, I think everyone is actually like performing always, like we're always performing something and we're always bringing meaning and value into something. So if you can re like switch your focus or draw attention to um, being more intentional with knowing that you have a stake in what you're doing and the, and the ideas you're putting out into the world. And actually like everyone is sort of doing what I have, have, what I'm doing now, you know, like we're all like in charge of that dialogue and we can steer that narrative in, in ways that like are meaningful and beneficial if we want to. Um, and that's sort of like, I think another reason why living room was so important to me. Cause I was like, look, like let's all to get together and think about what's at stake with the work that we're doing. Mm. Cause it's not just like clocking in and out. I mean, it is. I did that today. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, well, why Like, why do you spend your hours the way you do? Um, and who is that for? And I think that that's something that I have been really trying to like lean more heavily in on um, as I do the work that I do. Because sometimes it is like a grind, but I think that like the, if the parts add up to something um, bigger and more exciting, and but also like complicated, that's like what I envision and desire for the future of Yardi specifically. Mm. And what, um, so specifically for this last event, what was, what were some of the dishes that you prepared and what kind of directs you to choose the food that you're going to, is it kind of like day of what's at the farmer's market? Do you plan it far out in advance? Um, yeah. What, what influences those choices? So 
for the last event, I'm just like, what did I do? <laughs> what, which event was the last one? Um, or any of them. <laughs> um, just, yeah. It's, I feel like I'm in like a holiday spiral right now. I'm just like, oh God, I'm writing so many different menus. Um, some of the things that I'm really expi- I'm excited about, uh, really one thing that I'm really excited about would be challenging people's perception of Caribbeanism and what that can look like. Because I think that, like, when you think of Caribbean food, um, people are like, oh, seafood, or like, oh, this. But actually, like, in Jamaica, seafood is, in a lot of places, not the staple because of the way in which the fishing industry has has changed and what's been regulated, and um, which is also, like, importation, exportation, and the sort of laws around that. Um, But then also, like, thinking about the sort of produce that comes into the island, out of the island, like, who is responsible for doing that is a part of the investigation. Um, So that's one really important thing that drives the way I think about food, because honestly, like I am excited by dishes that help me to get beyond my own understanding of, and also like how I've othered myself to my own culture too. So like, Mm -hmm. how can I lean back into like really doing the work of, of, having actual conversations and building my own database of research that makes me uh, able to tell other stories or like champion other people's stories and talk about how like actually diverse Jamaica or the Caribbean islands are as a place or as, as a culture or a set of, a set of places. Um, A lot of it also comes from this idea of trying to privilege this idea of domestic space too. So I mean, it's really funny, but like my um, godmother, who's Bayesian, um, she makes me a coconut loaf every like every holiday. She would send it to me when I was at Cooper, and that was really meaningful to me because wow. it was like this really great thing where it's like, oh, like you're thinking about me, and it's cold, and I have no money. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've turned that into like a yardy staple dessert, which is really nice. So like, wow. it's a coconut toto. Toto is like a classic coconut dessert. Um, it's usually like a pudding um, that you sort of like steam. Okay. Um, and I went to, actually funny. I went to Jamaica last May, and they were steaming um, the coconut toto in this big Dutch oven. Um, but on the um, oh my god, I'm so bad with cars. What's that thing inside of the tire called? A rim. A rim. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Look at that. You you were own, you're, you were your own oh hero my god. there. <laughs> I can't, I'm so embarrassed. Anyway, so they had coals just like situated like inside of the rim. And it's just like one of those really, it's like the steps that it takes to get to good food. You don't have to do a lot, you know? And that was really exciting. You you don't need a $200 You um, really don't need the yakitori. (laughs) I mean, that's a whole different thing too, you know? Like you, exactly. You don't need the sous vide immersion circulator thing. Um, Have you heard of the air fryer? Yes, I have. Do you have one? I do not. Okay. I'm actually very curious about that. I think I've I want seen, one. I have a friend who makes samosas uh, with them. Oh, really? Yeah. And they're really, yeah, they're nice. And especially if like it, it's contained too and okay. it's less oil, but they're, they're kind of fancy. So I don't have one, okay. but I am afraid of deep frying things. Fair. So. <laughs> well, not to knock the ways in which you manifest <clears throat> the meals that you want, but mm-hmm. what I realize is that there's so many different ways to do that. You know, yeah. there's so many different, then that's, that's also like, I, I love writing and language. So I'm always just thinking like, what is your food language and what is your food vocabulary and how do like, what steps do people take to get to that thing? And I think that, um, repurposing is something that's really big in Caribbean, um, or like a lot of communities. Um, like how do you repurpose something to make it this thing? Like, how do you find resilience in, like commonality or trauma or disrupting uh, your idea of how something can be used and who that thing is for. Um, and so anyway, coconut toto is one of the things that I really like to make. Um, the other thing that I've been doing a lot of is, um, I don't know, we, we just uh, did this really great pe- like pepper shrimp. And that's also like a memory that I have of being in Jamaica of like the people who would just, make the shrimps and uh have it in like just these bags and like dusted with like all these really great seasonings and you like can eat it cold and they're like shell on shrimp that you just pull apart and like, mm. eat um which has all these like connotations of like, utility but also um of 
again, like resilient and thinking about um, what it means to repurpose and just like to have a drive to make something delicious and simple and share that with someone else is exciting to me. So those are two things that I'm trying to sort of forward in our menu. And also like, it's a constant process though, like always like trying to get back to um, having relationships with people in order to help champion those stories of how, of how food can happen and who it's for. Mm-hmm. And the types of food that, um, and like the dishes that are prominent is that, do you kind of like make it inclusive for all different types of like diets and backgrounds? It's like, that's something, I mean, is it like plant heavy yeah. or like, I know you love spice. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my God. <laughs> I watched your munchies video. Oh it's hilarious. God, it's video. amazing. I if died. you haven't seen it, I... just look it up. It's, uh, Escoviche, right? The, yeah. Escoviche. Yeah. 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 Um, which is also super, uh, that's also like one of my favorite things too, but that video is hilarious. Um, yeah. So diet's also really funny to me just because like one, like plant-based, um, is like in like Ital cooking in Jamaica, like plant-based is sort of how, um, they're thinking about ingredients, but in, in general in Jamaica, like it's really like stewy, a lot, like pretty protein heavy and like one pot meal. So you get a lot of like, um, like rundown, um, which is like coconut based and then like a lot of curries, um, which is like the history of like the spice trade. Um, um, and then also just thinking about like stewed fish and those are all things that like my dad, um, had it is at his mm. restaurant also like really big in like this idea of like doing jerk chicken jerk chicken though i've i've actually never done jerk chicken which really? is which people get really mad about but the thing about it is is like i can't do jerk chicken because in jamaica or just anyone who like knows how to make good jerk chicken is like you need the right wood mm. and you need they were doing it with like pork fat added on top of it which I was just like oh I don't ever want to make jerk chicken any other way I'm just not going to do it justice um and like using like corrugated um roofing to like press it down so that it's just like it's just this beautiful process I'm just like I I'm not about tradition I'm like not trying to be a traditionalist but I do think that like that is like so successful and so exciting to me that like all these different parts equal this really beautifully cooked chicken. Mm -hmm. Um, But for the most part, I try to do plant-based just because I think that's the way that I like to eat. That's what makes me feel good. Also, um, I think that there's something about thinking of the politics of like how meat is processed and produced that um, is important to me and how I think about food. So um, it's mindful, but also just mindful of the fact that like, well, you know, people in other places eat different ways. So how can we like actually broaden the story or like, or not even like to shut people out, but just like to really help to engage um, and tell a more complex narrative of how food happens in the world. Mm -hmm. Also plants are beautiful. Also plants are amazing. (laughs) They're very adorable. Um, I, I love that a lot of the, um, kind of visuals of Yardi, uh, really, celebrate like your mother and your aunts and really celebrates like femininity and um I was kind of curious to hear your thoughts on the way that like those people in your family have influenced you um and how kind of that aesthetic gets played out at a dinner Mm -hmm. yeah I mean I, I think the sort of um the influence of that has just been so it's changed so much and those images just as the more I use them, the more I look at them, the more they grow in meaning for me. The mm-hmm. first time I ever did it, I, I like found those images is when I was helping my parents move into their new house in um, Virginia. Um, and we've had, we've had, they like are bad at throwing things away. So, which is great for me, obviously. Um, so it's funny cause it's not just the photos, but like I have like a bunch of vintage stuff from my dad and like a bu- bunch of like vintage stuff from like my mom, wow. um, in terms of the like, clothing that just means a lot to me and is exciting because it like ties me to their history and like also them being exciting, excited, exuberant, like young people in New York trying to figure out how to situate themselves just like I've been doing for the past, uh, like what, like f- how long have I been here? Like eight years or so. Um, so that's really exciting. The images of of the young at the time 
whatever young is relative young women um and my family really resonates to me because i feel like it just reminds me of this spirit that of celebration but also like creating an archive for yourself to remember yourself in the ways that feel good and feel right for you um also a lot of the clothing that my mom was wearing at the time was designed by my grandmother who moved to New York as a seamstress. So she was making wedding dresses and like all custom stuff, um, for like all the women in, in Brooklyn and like came because she like had basically started her own business, you know? So like, there's also that history in it too, where it's like, Oh, like the narrative of my blackness doesn't have to be this like really sad, traumatic thing. I mean, it is, it's, that's there. But the things that came from that, like they obviously that means if I'm here that they didn't stop, right? Like mm-hmm. they stuck it out and they toughed it out and they did the things that they love to do and it wasn't easy. And there's so much, there's also like so much space to still talk about those things and we do. But I think that like, that's what it gets me excited about um, really tapping into that um, language as I've said before, but really thinking about that and how that can be continued and brought forward into the present. Um, and that, and also I, the other thing is really important is I was thinking about this today before I came here. I was just like, I, the fact that like images of femininity would otherwise be like frowned upon or like looked down on, or like these ideas of like, um, images or ideas or language that like really prioritizes or supports women. is like so absurd to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't, I don't want to have to like write in interviews that like I'm making space for like trans folk or queer folk or black folk. I just want that to be a thing that just happens because it's right. Like, yeah. it, like the fact that I have to define those things just honestly makes me feel very uncomfortable sometimes, but and I'm doing it because I, I'm hoping that one day it, it just becomes something that is, uh, is like a no brainer, mm-hmm. you know, like I have always been like, without anyone telling me that like femininity or like my mom was an icon. Like I knew that, like I just supported her because she did the same thing for me. And also like the fact that like her identity is not just bound to the fact that she's like a mother or a woman. Like it's also much bigger and broader than that. And I want um, anyone who is coming to my events to also feel like they have that broadness and that sort of like breath to really explore their identity and, explore their own idea of performative performativity in their own lives as well. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> and how, um, well, there's like kind of a, I guess a two part question that kind of goes together. I really like the way that you, the language that you use, um, to talk about Yardi and to talk about like kind of the ethos behind it. Um, does it seems like does kind of talk about healing and intimacy and sharing in moments that are um, just really honest and reflective. And I'm curious how how that kind of looks in your own life. Like what are some of the choices you make um, to take care of yourself, especially as someone who's running a business and cooking and throwing events and what does that look like for you? And um, yeah, maybe I'll, yeah, just leave it at that. Yeah. Now. To answer the latter about like self-care and wellness um, and also this this idea of healing um, for myself. Um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about mental health. I've been thinking a lot about what it means to be um, someone who identifies as male, um, a black male. And what that means based on the sort of precedent for black maleness in the world to one, be typified or construed in a very specific way. Um, certain characteristics or behaviors that are assigned or mapped onto black bodies um, that say that like, it's not okay to be emotional and it's not okay to ask for help. Um, and so a lot of the work that I'm trying to do for myself right now, especially just because, I mean, to be quite honest, um, press is like really difficult sometimes because it sometimes adds pressure where pressure otherwise wouldn't exist to really perform in a very specific Mm -hmm. way at your job. And then also to have the answer to things that you're trying to still figure out as someone who is like a queer black person who's only 25 years old, which is me. Um, and it doesn't, sometimes 
you know, it can psych you out and you can feel like you don't have that room to grow. And the things that, you know, talking about this anniversary again, like the things that made me really excited about the company a year ago are things that I'm like anxious about right now because I'm living up to, trying to live up to expectations that are coming um, both internally and externally, you know, like realizing that like I have a lot of, um, uh, what's the word, insecurities around like what it means to ask for help and to not look like I have this very specific like fire or strength or something because otherwise it's um, perceived as weakness. Um, And I think that like also social media is so hard too because it's, I think that like, you know, as often as you want to be open, there's also this idea of like um, always being watched or viewed that actually is very isolating at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, So really taking time and taking stock for, you know, myself this year being like, okay, let me look at everything that I've done this year and the things that I've said yes to because I was just really terrified or nervous that like I would never have that opportunity again. Or also, I mean, if we could talk about it, like this idea of the like fetishization of like black bodies or, you know, bodies that are commonly othered um, and given feeling like I was I'm being given this moment because everyone's excited about right now Mm -hmm. in the context of right now. And then having to just like really lean into my like support group, which is often like my sister, um, you know, or my friends. Um, and just be like, well, like, what, do, like, how do you make sense of this? Like, out, your outside opinion, you've known me for X amount of time. Like, w- like, how do you feel about this? Like, how can, like, can you actually help me to, like, get through this moment? Because I'm really having trouble seeing through the sort of, like, muck of what's going on in my life right now. Um, so really just being honest with myself to be like, you know, like, I don't have all the answers. And, like, I want to be curious and excited still. I want to learn what it means to be queer and Caribbean just as much as I want to bring words and language to that thing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so in terms of wellness and healing on a personal level, I think that's what I'm doing right now just because like, it's been a really intense year and I'm really excited and grateful. But at the same time, I'm just like, I, you know, I, I want space to breathe, which is like, I went, why I went down to Cayman and like was hanging and like just chilling. Cause I just wanted time for myself and to like really let those thoughts come through. And um, the result of that was really productive and exciting um, for me. Um, and then how that pertains to events is kind of, I guess, the same. Uh, for me, there's this idea of, again, value. I think about value a lot because um, ethnic food is sometimes deemed as like this cheap thing. Yeah. Um, and it's really important for me to really challenge that idea because there's nothing about the labor that has been tacked on to black bodies since they came over to be slaves on plantations <laughs> that says that what we do is cheap or unskilled or not worth time or value. Um, and all those things really remind me that I have a history of like being the foundation of something much larger than myself or much larger than my, ima- my imagination. I um, mean, letting myself understand that I have more agency than I usually let myself Um, believe that I do. Um, And I think that that's the sort of professional wellness that I want to sort of like give or or provide or make my audience aware of, because I think that like, yeah, like it's great to be in this thing or that thing, but do you really at the end of the day, like, are you do like I, who are you doing it for? And why, why is this thing existing? Something that me and Gerardo talk about all the time. He's just like, if you cut all the bullshit out, like Mm. what's left at the end of the day, like what makes you excited? You know, like without your, like, is it your ego or is it something else? Um, and I have a really big ego and he's really great about helping me think through that. Um, I feel like I should have that written. So like, <laughs> is it your ego or is it something oh, else? Oh, for like- sure. It's so, and it's funny and how that creeps in. Um, <clears throat> and I just, yeah, that's been really important to me. Yeah. Um, a slightly lighter question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm throwing like heavy stuff at you. This is, um, I know that music plays a really big role in a lot of oh the, God. you know, the kind of space that you create and the, <clears throat> you know, both the intimacy, the joy, the celebration of, of just your life and then how you share that with people. So I'm curious what you, what you're listening to and what you're specifically like cooking to. Oh my gosh. 
This is my favorite question <laughs> anyone has ever asked me. If anyone, honestly, it's funny. If you, this is just anyone who like thinks that I am, I don't know. Sometimes people are like, you're intimidating, which is fine. But if you want a tip to break the ice, if you ever see me on the street, strike up a music conversation because I get so excited about all things music all the time. Um, right now, I mean, oh God. I'm, I can't even, I'm just like find the speechless. I'm just like, I don't even know. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I have been listening to a lot of uh, this, this artist. Um, they go by Serpent with Feet. Ooh. Do you know them? No. Oh my God. I'm just going to pause because it's <laughs> um, Serpent with Feet is amazing. They, it's funny because the way is, the ways in which I think about their music is the way that I think about like, the sort of energy and quality that I want my events and food to have. Um, they have a sort of like gospel sort of, but like these like tones of like dark magic, but also talking a lot about like emotions and basically what I just said, like they're like really challenging and tackling those things in their work. And I recommend it to anyone who like has good headphones and is, can be in their room by themselves for a little bit. Um, just such a powerful voice, but then also just like very thoughtful and intentional in the ways that they think about words and language, which mm. is, which means everything to me. Um, what else am I listening to? Uh, so there's that. SZA is mm. constantly always, you know, it's funny cause I went to a SZA concert. Really? Um, Afropunk last summer. Okay. And people really like her sophomore album, which is iconic, but no one listens no it seems like no one knows about her first album which i was listening to when so i moved to london and that was like my album i was like oh my god it speaks to me in so many ways because she's doing r&b but also in this really sort of like experimental way with her words and i think i'm pretty sure she writes all her music um so that was exciting too um oh my god what else am i listening to I've been listening to something like my motivational playlist, which is different than my cooking playlist. Um, like my daily, like errands, nice by the Carters. Okay. That okay. song comes up a lot. Um, it's really, honestly, it's a lot. Uh, today it's those three. Okay. Okay. Things. On the rotation. Oh my God. I'm also not embarrassed. I'm not going to be embarrassed by this. I really listened to Troy Savant. Troy Savant. Yes. I love. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Oh my god! I've had the the song with Ariana Grande, the oh, dance, dance with you. Song. Oh my gosh, I've had that oh. like just in my head. Also, it's an adorable music. It video. is. Such, thank you. Yes. That music video where everyone's like leaving, but they're still doing their yes, thing. And just That's like, how I want people to feel yes. when they like read or see what we. D- yeah. Okay. <laughs> Love choice of is it Sivan or Savan? So I don't know. Okay, I'm gonna look it. Yeah, up. it's yeah. We need Google to like. Pop music, like pop music, like I don't know. It's great. It does it for me sometimes, a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And my work, I teach kids um, cooking. And uh, last night, I was having kids whisk, and I had them line up so they could all practice whisking. And I was going, "Thank you, next." Oh my god! Thank you, next. And I was kind of like, "Oh, that album." Chuckling to myself. Sweetener, really. I. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ariana, she did it to me too. She knows. Okay. Um, it's been so wonderful having you here. Um, is there any, before we wrap up, is there any upcoming events that you just want to shout out um, that we can also like maybe link to um, after the, our, uh, you know, interview comes up that, yeah, we can kind of direct people to so that they can, you know, attend one yeah. of these events and kind of um, get the yardy experience. They, so yeah, I'm actually throwing a party on Sunday. Okay. Um, it's with Performance Space New York. Um, the former director of the, one of the directors slash curators of the MoMA um, runs that space. Um, it's with Oscar from Poppy Juice and my friend Tony oh. Skype Williams um, and Alejandra Savion, who is also a DJ. And then uh, my friend KT is performing. And then we're doing a mu- movie screening and I'm doing like light bar snacks and a cocktail too. So that's from 6 to 11 on Sunday. Come through. Um, and then the other thing, it's not an event, but something that's really important to note is I am, I know is like shading brick and mortars earlier, mm-hmm. but I think it's fine to say that I'm like actively like looking for one, like investors. So if you know anybody, let me know to a space to have 
like active food things happen all the time. Something that's my own okay. space. Okay. So I'm, that's a project that I've been working on, like on the Lolo for the past three months. Um, and I'm excited about that. And that'll be hopefully like end of this coming year, 2020 something. I'm, I want to open something and I want to have, I want Yardy to have a home essentially. It won't be a restaurant, but I want people to feel like they have a home with Yardy. So that's exciting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I have a lot to look forward to. <laughs> oh, yes. And I do, and I wanted to mention this earlier before we close, I, I do want to say that I think it's really great that your events are very accessible financially. Like you, I don't know how you do it, but um, like I, I really respect that whenever I see events that are thoughtful in, in all aspects, but also try to be as inclusive as is possible. Yeah. And um, I think that that's something worth noting, especially in the New York City food scene where so often and very casually our events just, you know, above and beyond what a lot of people, especially working class queer people could right. afford. And I think it's right. important to acknowledge like the, yeah, like the economic background of the people that you're kind of like hailing to. For sure. No, yeah, that's, that's really important to me too. And, and figuring out the logistic that, are sometimes really hard, but <laughs> we don't have time to get into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm excited about next year and thank you for having me. Yeah. It's been really great. Great. Well, um, you can tune into this episode, which will be available on heritageradionetwork.org. Also we're on Spotify and iTunes. And I do want to shout out that the heritage radio network holiday party is going to be this Monday. Um, at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. Um, so come through. It's a great way to celebrate this local radio station doing great work. It's a nonprofit. Um, you can get tickets at hrn.org and you can get 10% off with the code Food Without Borders. We'll see you next week. Good night. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.